This is the Defenders podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're exploring Marvel's 616, Episode 1, Japanese Spider-Man. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We're back defending the Marvelverse, and we're looking at the documentary series Marvel 616, Episode 1 of Season 1, Japanese Spider-Man on TV Podcast Industries. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek. Ooh, this is a different one. We haven't done anything like this before, John. No, this is documentary verse mm. of marvel yes yeah. on disney plus i hasten to add yes. yes yes so i know marvel 616 another term it's a comic book term for the main universe of marvel comics it's where everything all the main stuff takes place there's loads of alternate universes but marvel 616 in the comic books is the central universe what's marvel 616 on disney plus john well it's an eight episode anthology documentary series and it's exploring a variety, basically, of influences of the Marvel comics, both in culture, society, but also at Marvel mm. as well. Um, I think the interesting thing here is each episode is from a different perspective, from the directors involved that have contributed to then these eight episodes mm. in the series. Um, I think, for me... I don't really know many of the directors, but certainly two of them really spring out to me. One being Gillian Jacobs, who played Britta on the awesome, awesome TV series Community, which oh, I loved, yes. um, awesome Nerdville Centra. Yeah. Um, and she really gives us a great, compelling history of the role uh, and the determination of women in comics and especially at Marvel. Uh, yeah, yeah. So really nice. I think we saw it at um, the... San Diego Comic Con online. Yeah. Uh, she, there was kind of almost like a little behind the scenes bit of footage with Gillian Jacobs. Yes. So, um, it kind of really, that's where it sort of became a little interesting, mm -hmm. uh, to me. Uh, and certainly then, um, this is kind of maybe a, a first looking at a documentary anthology yeah, series as definitely. well for ourselves. Um, but I think the important thing for us is that, you know, if, if you fellow defenders who are listening just want to watch the entire series mm -hmm. or pop in and out of a few episodes, then I think, you know, you can sit back over Christmas and put your feet up, have the old pooch by the fire <laughs> at your, your, your Prosecco or champagne, maybe your whiskey or, or maybe just a beer and you can relax, uh, just listening to our uh, very, um, sort of festive bite sized delve into yeah. these. And, um, you know, th this isn't going to be anything too long. And um, it's really just to kind of give an overview of each of the episodes of this series. Yes. And um, I think the other director that I kind of recognized was Paul Shear. Yes. Um, a writer, actor, and a podcaster. Mm -hmm. uh, but he delivers a really interesting, almost meta documentary that is kind of a comedic spoof pilot pitch 
within a documentary episode. Very so, good. yeah, that was kind of interesting yeah. as well. Because he does the podcast, uh, How Did This Get Made? Really good, really interesting podcast, or at least it started out as a really interesting podcast. So uh, interesting to see what Paul Shear delivers on this show. And yeah, I absolutely love Gillian Jacobs. Can't be underestimated her work on Community. She was hilarious on that show. But what's really important about Community, of course, is that that's the show that gave us the Russo brothers who delivered all of the Avengers movies and Captain America movies. Yeah, exactly. Or, sorry, most of them. <laughs> I want to take away from Joss Whedon there and um, delivered most of the Avengers movies and the Captain America movies. So, um, so Gillian being involved in that show and coming on board uh, doing this directorial job on, on this show is really interesting that so much has come from community because it seemed like that little show that could and just kept getting renewed under the radar. Yeah. Really nerdy and really geeky audience and really interesting to see on the other side of the, of the camera in front of the camera. All the people behind on the show itself were also pretty nerdy too. So yeah, exactly. that's really cool. You know, and yeah, you, abso- you can tell that. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, for you podcast nerds uh, of TV podcast industries, this is a big welcome back to fellow defenders. Mm-hmm. We used to be Defenders TV podcast right. along with Gotham TV podcast, but we're now bringing Defenders uh, onto TV podcast industries. We've been on a bit of a hiatus since the final. Um, Marvel Netflix shows were wrapped up and of course we moved over to TV podcast industries mm-hmm. but we're back because we love covering Marvel yep. and um, 2021 is going to see a nice big oomph back on Marvel TV uh, kicking off with WandaVision in January of 2021 That's right. Um, so that is kind of another little kind of prelude to us getting back into the Marvel TV shows, of course, now on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you're new to the podcast, then please um, head on over to subscribe to the podcast at tvpodcastindustries.com. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or you can just search TV Podcast Industries on any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. If you're watching the documentary, pop us an email into feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and let us know what you think uh, of these shows. Uh, hopefully you'll enjoy uh, this little dive into uh, into the Marvel Comics uh, documentary stuff. So it'll be interesting stuff. What are we talking about in this episode, John? So the first episode is Japanese Spider-Man, awesome. um, which is just fascinating look at that cultural crossover that effectively took Spider-Man to Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Spider-Man with a Japanese twist. Um, you know, it is a really lovely, and I have to say, I loved this tale of taking such a big Marvel property um, in the form of Spider-Man and making it for the Japanese audience. That was really interesting, um, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, at the centre of it is uh, Gene Pelk, who effectively went over with his wife, who was Japanese, and began pitching around Marvel properties, uh, comic properties, because they realised comics were massive in Japan, mm-hmm. but Marvel comics weren't selling. Um, and ultimately, he was given pretty much free reign to then come up with a way, I suppose, of commercialising Marvel more in Japan. Yeah. And it was through TV, and it was through the Japanese Spider-Man TV show. Um, and I love it. There's no Aunt May. There's no Peter Parker. There are robots galore, because the way to get people into um, the TV shows at the time was... With through toys, and so it was. Where 
was the toy going to be here exactly. other than just yeah, yeah. simply the action figure of Spider-Man? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have robots here. Um, well, of course. And dare I say it, actual stunts as well. There is um, a great little bit with the stunt coordinator mm-hmm. and the stunt man who are scathing about the Spider-Man film uh, that was released much earlier in the 70s. So Japanese Spider-Man aired on the TV uh, between 1978 and 1979, Mm -hmm. um, and it stayed locked in Japan um, until 2009 when audiences... Uh, outside of Japan, could see it for the first time. But there'd always been rumors about it. It was always was, that show that, yeah. you know, even in the early days of YouTube, I remember little clips of of Japanese Spider-Man and everybody going, what is this? What What's this show that has, as you say, no Aunt May, no storyline connected to the comic books? I, I, I grew up, uh, well, was born in the 70s. In the 80s, they did show the American version of, uh, of Spider-Man TV show. And it was basically a guy with ropes who just through the ropes and then maybe climbed around a bit. But this show seems to have some great stunts and they were all actual, all practically well, done. Well, that's it. So the stuntman, Harifama Kojan, um, just talks of all the pain that he went through doing the actual stunts. So they had him going up buildings. They mm-hmm. had him swinging between buildings, underneath um, suspension bridges. That's and cool. the kickoff to the show was him climbing up the Tokyo Tower mm-hmm. in, in the middle of Tokyo with no safety. Um, you know, he got something like 60 meters up um, and you, you just hear him talk about it. You know, he got he got bit by a dog on the arse. <laughs> um, he was holding on to... Um, to cars, no safety ropes, uh-huh. uh, and the stunt coordinator is, is there saying we wouldn't be able to do this now. No, um, way. you know it wouldn't pass the health and safety. But it was all done because when they watched the American movie from the early seventies of Spider Man, mm-hmm. they said, "But he, he, it's not like the comics that yeah. they were using to research." So you know he's his. There's no low center of gravity. He's not crawling up the side of buildings. He's not jumping onto ceilings. Yeah. Uh, he's not swinging and and doing all this action stuff so i thought this was really really fascinating and the stunt coordinator with the the stunt man who who did the stunts in the spider outfit are just really really interesting yeah aren't they yeah definitely Um, the one that stood out to me was just the actual stance that the stuntman uh, created for Spider-Man, where he was kind of looking at spiders and taking inspiration from them about how they would stand if they were in a human body. And it it looks completely different from anything we've seen on the Western versions of Spider-Man. Even the Tom Holland movies, they don't really have that version of Spider-Man. This is a, a totally new style and look at it because they're taking so little from the comics and so little from American TV or American movies they're kind of able to create whatever they wanted to, which is so interesting. Well, it is. I mean, they had to keep Spider-Man looking like Spider-Man, mm-hmm. but then all the bad guys yep. were sort of drawn from Japanese mythology, mm-hmm. and, and they were all new. And then you had this addition, which, again, is another really fascinating part of this. Um, you, The addition of 
robots. And so Toei Company was involved. And the guy who designed one of the robots, he said, well, no one really said no. So he designed something that looked like a sphinx and transformed effectively into a leopard called Leopardon. And there was... Why not? You know, of course, you might as well throw in a sphinx (laughs) there. What connection would there be with Spider-Man and the sphinx? Maybe Moon Knight might have a sphinx connection. Exactly, exactly. And then the Marveler, and these were all really to be able to sell toys mm-hmm. uh, on the back of the TV show. Yep. But the the really uh, interesting thing here was that it transformed from a spaceship with a sphinx on it into Leopardon. Mm-hmm. And this ultimately led after that um, to a comic series called Shogun Warriors oh, yeah. that then led on to Transformers. Course, and so... Yeah. Actually, he wanted the robots to transform and he was thinking of the American English to, to use for it. And mm-hmm. so, um, he said transform and then ultimately in the evolution of this, it went from Shogun Warriors to Transformers, which is really interesting that, you know, Transformers came out of this. Yeah. Um, I suppose ultimately along with Power Rangers. So a lot of cultural references mm-hmm. coming in from this. One guy, Gene Pelk, uh, being given free reign. Yeah. And ultimately something that when he showed the first cut of it, the corporate heads in Marvel were just like, didn't get it. Yeah. Um, you know, that, and that's why it remained sort of cordoned off in Japan. They didn't like it, but luckily, um, Stanley, did love it. Yes, um, yes, he yeah. really enjoyed that they had done the Japanese twist yep. to Spider-Man and made it um, digestible and... And for the audience. And for there. the audience yeah. in Japan. And like, like what people always forget about Stan Lee is that he was a PR man. He was a marketing man as well as being a comic yeah. book writer. And what he always was there for us give the audience what they want. He's, he's kind of different from the Apple heads, you know, where their idea is they don't even know what they want. We'll give them something and they'll want it anyway. Whereas Stanley is like, you want to entertain them. And if they want to be entertained, give them exactly something that's going to entertain them and, and get, show them what they want. So he always was very appreciative of creative people because making something creatively for the audience that you're aiming for and doing it well is something they always loved. So yeah. uh, I was I really like that. And you're right, that whole idea of Gene Pelk, this concept of him traveling back and forth with his girlfriend, I think at the time, uh, who's Japanese, now his wife, but traveling back and forth to Japan and going, maybe I can call up Marvel and see if I can get their stuff over here. He wasn't even working for Marvel. He just was calling them up with I an idea. I think they say he was a Marvel representative. Yeah, but, um, yeah. yeah, but he was calling them up just trying to get... Um, maybe we can sell the products over here, which I thought was, was fascinating. So. Yeah, and I mean, luckily as well, the Japanese audience loved it. I mean, there's a really nice interview with the actor who played Spider-Man mm-hmm. out of costume, Sinji Todo, um, who brought like a completely different perspective. So he, he talks about how he, you know, wanted to kind of keep the humanity of him. And so you'd see in the spider suit him sneezing because mm-hmm. he had allergies, for example, uh, which was really interesting. Yeah. And I think that ultimately, um, you know, 
it's a show that had heart and soul and it was about always trying to do your best mm-hmm. and that's what connected it i think you know it kept the spirit of spider-man yep. and had the the angle of making it popular for the japanese market and yeah. out of that a whole host of other different ideas flourished and um, and came to pass whether that was transformers or it influenced other programs like Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought this was, um, I just thought this was really, really, um, a, a great little opener for this series with Japanese Spider-Man and, and seeing that cultural crossover, um, you know, and bring it to the Japanese audience. So it's definitely one that I would recommend, uh, for, to, to watch because it is just so out there. I mean, I think the great thing is, I think one of the corporate, um, uh, members of Marvel just said, this is not Spider-Man. This is crazy stuff because you look at it, uh-huh. it looks crazy. And it was done on a shoestring as Absolutely. well. Absolutely so tight on budget. And they, they kind of go into that a bit with this really nice look at how they take one of the robots transforming, withdrawing its sword, chucking it through the air and just hitting a different enemy mm-hmm. each time. So they just replace the enemy. Five or six um, different episodes yeah. just using the same so piece of footage, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's actually a really nice um, little opener for this series. And a really unusual one as well, though, isn't it? Like, uh, taking that story of Japanese Spider-Man, it's a, a really unusual idea to do it that way, rather than, you know, taking something, um, you know, something like translating comic books into TV or something really punchy, something that people will jump on board instantly. Because a lot of people haven't even heard of Japanese Spider-Man. So you're flicking through the documentaries on, on Disney Plus and you're going, what the heck is this about? Yeah. So it's aimed at a certain type of person who may have known about it, but it's an interesting story. And the one thing that I'd like to add at the end of this, the one thing that I really liked about it was when they're talking to Shinji Toto uh, about his his role in the show as, as Spider-Man out of the suit, uh, when they're talking to him, he seems genuinely affected by the idea that this is still a memory for a lot of people, that people still are inspired by his work and the stuntman saying the same thing. He's really proud of what he's done. The actress who played the love interest on the show or the sisterly kind of figure on the show, because they said there was never really a love interest in the show, yeah. but uh, her saying how proud she is of the work that she did all those years ago to still be remembered 40 odd years on. I think it's a lovely moment and it, it's it's quite touching towards the it, end. It is. It's a real nice nostalgic look mm-hmm. at, TV shows from the 70s that really, you know, for the time tried to push the boundaries. I mean, yeah. as, as a Doctor Who uh, fan as well, mm-hmm. you see some of the puppets and you're kind of like going, okay, you know, you see some of the, the edits to people falling off cliffs yeah. where it's obviously on a model, yeah. but it's like, that's that's what they had at that time exactly. and for tv i mean it's come a long way mm-hmm. but th- there's something heartwarming to see that you know all these different steps push through and i think just to finish the i think when gene pelk first started to look to see why marvel wasn't uh the comics weren't working for the japanese market mm-hmm. he, he really found a very um interesting take because obviously manga was huge yeah. and is huge in japan so the japanese absolutely loved their comics mm-hmm. and he said but it was so visual yeah. hardly any writing or dialogue it absolutely. was visual storytelling you know in quite a purer sense compared to marvel where he said there's all these 
text bubbles yeah. and speech bubbles that you know you're going through yeah. but still you know there's the artwork behind it there and he mm-hmm. said that was one of the main things that they in sort of then bringing it to the tv to make it that the entry point for um Jap- japan was to give it visually on the tv yeah and um, so yeah fascinating um episode and certainly i'd recommend it for sure excellent stuff yeah so really good opener for yeah, marvel 6 absolutely yeah. for sure uh thanks so much fellow defenders for joining us remember you can subscribe to the podcast on any podcast catcher of your choice or head on over to tv podcast industries you can also support us by subscribing to our patreon over at patreon.com forward slash tv podcast industries it's really great being back in the world of marvel tv Mm -hmm. even if it is in a documentary sense uh, with the defenders and of course we will be back for the next episode of marvel 616 for episode two higher further faster and of course from january 15th 2021 with our coverage and discussion of wandavision Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next time. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep defending. Bye. Bye.